0: How many saw the news this morning when you woke up about last night's Powerball winner? Anybody see that? $450 million from California. It might be one of you. I'm not judging. What would you do with $450 million? Some of you go, I'd give it all to the church. You don't even give 10 percent to the church. You wouldn't give 450. Million. What would you do with that much money? Well, I feel like, and I told him I wouldn't do much of this. I feel like this church won the lottery. You know where I'm going with this? About a year ago, May-ish, when we got Chad and Haley Bohai as our senior pastors. Isn't that amazing? In fact, why don't you guys come on up here? Come on up here. Come on, let's go, come here, come here. I mean, look at this couple. I mean, really. Yeah, don't leave, oh. You know, God must really love us. He could have given us, think about it, Some pastor on his last leg, seen it all, been there, done that, riding off into the sunset, just looking for the last paycheck, right? Instead, we get this couple right here. You know? I asked you, what would you do with $450 million? What are you going to do with this couple right here? You've won the lottery. Here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray for them. Is that cool? All right, if, why don't you stand? You were just standing, but why don't you stand? Let's extend your hands this way. Father, we thank you for this amazing couple that you have blessed us with. We thank you for the dual anointing that it's not just a Chad thing or a Haley thing, but it's a together thing. That they are they are not partners in crime, they're partners in Christ. And so we thank you for every spiritual blessing that you've blessed them with in the heavenly places in Christ that you have bestowed upon them, all the giftings, all the talents, all the anointings, all the abilities that they need for this assignment, yes. and that there will be days and there will be weeks where it feels like work. It's a four-letter word. They're just drudging through, just, just trying to survive, and then there's going to be times they're going to be on the mountaintops. Lord, we pray that no matter what the day or no matter what the week brings them, that we would be together with them, yes. praying with them, praying for them. We see Chad. He is loud. He is, he is in our face. He is, he is great. We don't see as much of Haley. She's behind the scenes. She's taking care of her kids. She is taking care of her man. That's right. So, Lord, we thank you that they both have very important jobs, neither of which we would ever dismiss or overlook. But instead, Lord, what we want to do is pour into their lives. Help us as a church be everything that we're supposed to be for this couple as they strive to be everything that you've called them to be for us and for each other. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 All right, let's... All right. Now, before we get started, uh, he told me I could go an hour and a half if I did that. Are we good? <laughs> I'm kidding. He said an hour. All right. So, before we get going in the sermon, to, uh, we're going to talk about together is better. Before we get going in the sermon today, I want you to think back to your favorite memory as a kid. Fa- your favorite memory. Some of you are thinking, I'm kid at heart. I'm still a kid. No. Before you were the age of twelve, just think back to what your favorite memory was. All right. Now, next Sunday is what? Father. Some of you are saying June eighteenth. That's all it is to you. No, it's Father's Day. How many fathers we have in here? Now, can I hear something like a yeah? I heard one guy go yeah. No. Yeah. I, I love being a dad. I. Uh, I've been married uh, for going on 17 years to my college sweetheart, uh, Michelle. I'm a Chad. I'm a Chad. Look at this. I'm a Chad. My mom is Debbie. My college roommate and best friend is Josh. My wife is a redhead. I have three kids, all right? But I'm older. That's what I do. I'm older. I don't know how I'm married. I've been married for 17 years. She still looks like she's in college. I look like I've been dragged through the mud by you know, a tractor. But we, we've got three kids. In fact, uh, you know, I think it's up here. There are my three kids. They will always be that way to me, but this is what they really are. You know, but as a dad, you always, right, reflect on what your kids used to be when they were smaller. I love, I love being a father. I love Father's Day. When they were this young, this is what I wanted for Father's Day. Leave me alone. <laughs> Michelle, take the kids. I just need some peace and quiet. Chad, you might be able to relate. Hopefully for Mother's Day, you took the kids. All right, let Haley have some, let her rest. Now, the older I get, my, my oldest daughter, uh, Emily, Uh, She's getting ready to be in the eighth grade. I've only got four or five years left before she's off into the world. Now, what I cherish for Father's Day is time with my kids, time with my family, being together. Many of you fathers know this yourselves, especially the older you've gotten. You just want to be with your kids. So, I don't know what you've gotten for your dad for Father's Day. Some of you know, I got him a tie. Please don't get him a tie this year, okay? He has enough ties. In fact, you don't even have to dress up to come to this church. If you're wearing a tie, God bless you, sir. I don't know if your kids got you that, but no more ties. This is what you should do next week for Father's Day. If he is still alive, get together with your dad. Get together with your dad. If you're able to. If you're not, then I want you to call now, I said a little uh, earlier to think back to what your favorite childhood memory was. You, do, you, do you have that, what your favorite childhood memory was? I was going to go around and ask everybody to give me what their ch- favorite childhood memory is, but I think I'm just going to have to give you mine. Is that cool? Yes. All right. Whew, all right. Um, for me, well, let me ask you something. In your, in your childhood memory, were you with other people? You probably were, right? Disneyland or some Christmas or something. Other people were in your memory. It wasn't just you. You had other people there. For me, when I was six years old, I'm an Air Force brat. My dad was in the Air Force for 22 years. So we lived all over the country. My parents are originally from North Carolina. We never lived near my grandparents. So I grew up and we were always, you know, in Florida or Mississippi or wherever. We were always far away from my grandparents, especially at Christmas time. So when I was six, my dad and my mom and I, and my brother, my three-year-old brother Ryan, I guess he was almost four at this time, we took a trip. We were living in Omaha, Nebraska. We took a road trip to surprise my grandparents, Nanny and Granddaddy, for Christmas. And I remember us getting up that December morning, driving. Uh, uh, It was so cold, and the heater went out of our Subaru in Missouri, so we had to stay an extra day in Missouri, but we had fun, you know, playing cards and and games and stuff in the hotel room while the heater got fixed. I remember staying in Motel 6s, because that's all we could afford in the 80s. Anybody, you know, can I get an amen out there? You know, sometimes just got... My dad, he was always so eager to get on the road, he would wake us up at like 4.30 in the morning. Any any other crazy dads like that? Like, you just want to get on the road, you know? We would eat cereal, you know, in, in, the, in the hotel room, and then we'd get on the road. But I remember the look on my, fa- uh, on my grandparents' faces when we showed up and surprised them for Christmas. I mean, we were thousands of miles away, but we showed up to surprise them for Christmas. So whatever your memory was, I bet it's similar to mine where other people were involved. And that's because there's a theme in our lives, and there's a theme in today's sermon as well, And the theme is this together is better. Together is better. In fact, can you turn to somebody and tell them together is better? Yeah. And just in case, just in case they speak Spanish, can you tell them juntos es mejor? Juntos es mejor. All right, doesn't Spanish sound so much better than English? We got Rod with English. Together is better. Do you know who else believes together is better? Our Father, our heavenly Father believes together is better. Everything God the Father has ever done has been together. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their very in God's very nature, he is together. Why? Because to God together is better. Amen. We find in the book of Genesis. Anybody familiar with the book of Genesis? Very first book of the Bible. If you don't know the Bible that well, just turn to page one, Genesis. We find in the very beginning of the Bible, God makes man. He makes man after his own image. He makes Adam out of clay and creates in mankind from the very beginning this longing for relationship, this longing for togetherness. And although Adam has access to everything on earth and has access to the God of heavens, he literally walks and talks with God, there's still something missing, something that Adam can't explain, something that he can't dismiss or quite put his finger on until God creates Eve. And he puts Adam with Eve. He brings them together and fulfills that longing in Adam's life. But then, as we know, Adam and Eve fail They sin, and so Adam is right back at square one. Yes, he's together with Eve, but he's together with Eve in death, separated from that intimate relationship with God that he had previously known. But even then, even then, God, despite Adam's sin, still believed that together is better. In fact, God the Father believed together is better so strongly he so loved the world now, what God did was he peered through eternity and he saw what a future separated from us would be like. He saw what Adam's sin would do to us, how we could never be together with God because of our sin. He is holy. So God the Father saw that destiny for us and he decided, nah, that ain't going to work for me. And he so loved the thought of being with us that he gave his only begotten son so that no one would perish, but so that everyone could have the potential of eternal life together with him. That what the first Adam went and broke apart, the last Adam Jesus could put back together. So listen, if you're in here today and you feel alone or you feel rejected or maybe you feel like something's not right with your life, Maybe you feel something is missing, and you can't even quite put your finger on it, or that something somewhere is broken, or that something might be breaking apart. Maybe it's a marriage, or your finances, or your family, or your career, and that brokenness is making you feel alone and forgotten. I want you, for at least the next 20 minutes or so, I want you to summon As much hope as you can, even if it takes every ounce of energy and faith that you've got left, I want you to summon the hope to believe that God has a plan for you after all, no matter what you've done. I want you to hope that what was lost in battle and that what was taken unlawfully and that where Satan has planted his seed, God will restore that and put it back together. I want you to hope that where your health is ailing and your strength is failing, God will restore to you all of this and more. See, I, I know that dumb old Humpty Dumpty, he could not be put back together again. But that was because they only called all the king's horses and all the king's men. Maybe they should have given God a shot at old Humpty Dumpty. I bet the nursery rhyme would have been a little differently Had they called God into the scene? Maybe you've looked, not at all the king's horses and all the king's men, but maybe you've looked elsewhere for God, for somebody else to put you back together. Not God, but a relationship or a substance or alcohol or drugs or a career, and you still feel empty. What I want you to do today is to give God a chance. He can put you back together again because God believes together is better. Turn to somebody saying, I'm telling you, together is better. And, and in the most famous sermon ever preached by the most famous preacher ever, maybe you've heard of him, Jesus, Amen. he reveals a prayer that shows us not just that together is better, but how living a life believing that can restore any broken part of our lives. This sermon is found in the book written by a disciple of Jesus. A former cheater and scum of the earth tax collector named Matthew. No one liked Matthew. His friends didn't like him. His family didn't like him. Matthew didn't like Matthew until Jesus came along. If if you think your past and your reputation could ever prevent Jesus from loving you, just look at what Jesus did with a guy like Matthew, and you'll have a change of heart. And so like Genesis was the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament, the first book of the the Bible in the New Testament is a book written by this former scum of the earth turned disciple named Matthew. And what Matthew does is he goes and in his memoirs, he records this very famous sermon that we now call, anybody know what it's called? Sermon. Sermon on the Mount. You don't even need to be a Christian. I hope you are a Christian. If you're not, we'll change that before you leave. But you don't even need to be a Christian to be familiar with some of the highlights of the Sermon on the Mount. For instance, here's a few nuggets that humanity picked up from this very famous sermon. Have you heard the phrase, go the extra mile? That's from this sermon. What about, don't throw your pearls before swine? From this sermon, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, guess where that's found? In this sermon, how about turn the other cheek, love your enemy and don't forget, don't worry, be happy. From this sermon, Come on. Come on. here's a little song I wrote, like to sing it note for note, don't worry. Be happy. Right from here, the book of Matthew. Yes, thank you. Matthew got no royalties for that. But, but of all the famous parts of this very famous sermon, by far the most well-known part is the Lord's Prayer. It's literally found smack dab in the middle of this very famous sermon. It's no accident that in this very important sermon that Jesus teaches us how to pray, how to approach God, and actually how to approach life. In fact, what I think there are, I think there are three things we learn from this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that show us not how to just approach God, but how to find the restoration and the healing we need in our broken and breaking world. Because in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes it obvious that together is better and that to get better, it takes together. Togetherness produces betterness. I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to say it again. Togetherness produces betterness. In fact, if we look at how Jesus starts and frames this lesson on prayer, we'll understand that together is better. We look at this from Matthew 6 and we see right out of the gate this is what he says Jesus says your father in heaven Oh wait I'm sorry my notes must be well, let me let me try that again He doesn't say your father so I'm sorry I'm sorry This is what when Jesus starts the prayer off he says my father in heaven Something did you who messed with my notes Because here's what it says our father in heaven What do you you see there? Togetherness. Togetherness. Jesus says, when you pray, when you approach God, start with our our Father. Now, we've got some Bible scholars in here. Chad might be the smartest and best looking of us, but there are some Bible scholars in here. Think through all the other times in Scripture that Jesus mentions the Heavenly Father. He's actually quite obsessed with the Father. I don't know if you've picked this up before, but I bet the disciples, here they go. In the morning, Jesus starts off. He's talking about the Father. We sit down for lunch. He's talking about the Father. We're going through a field, plucking heads of grain. Jesus is talking about the Father. We're ready for bed. Jesus decides to go pray to the Father. He's obsessed with the Father, but every single time he mentions the Father... In Scripture, Jesus uses what's called a singular possessive pronoun. I was told there would be no learning in church today. Well, there's a singular possessive pronoun. In other words, when Jesus talks about his relationship, his relationship with the Father, he always says, My Father, the will of my Father. If you deny me before men, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Come ye blessed of my Father, See what Jesus is doing? He's talking about his relationship with the Father. He says, my Father. Over and over, Jesus says, my Father. And then whenever Jesus talks about mankind's relationship with the Father, he says, your Father. In fact, just a few uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, over and over, he talks about the Father. And he says, your Father. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. Jesus says, pray to your Father. My Father, your Father. My Father, your Father. But now... When he gets to the Lord's prayer on how to approach God, he teaches us to approach the Father in relationship. What does he switch to for the only time in Scripture? Our Father. Jesus, he tells us not to pray my father, not to look at the father only as a me or my relationship, as a you or your thing, but as a corporate, collective, communal dynamic, our relationship, only possible because of Jesus. In other words, the access that Jesus has to the father, you have that access as well. But you only have that access through Jesus. That's a Chad Bohai thing right there. Through Jesus, right? Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me, huh? Through, through. But you don't just have it. She has that access. And he has that access, and he has it, and she has that access. We all have access to God, our Father, through Jesus. Because God is our Father because of Jesus. So, out of the gate, Jesus is saying, Hey, folks, together is better. What I've got, you can have. You don't have to be separated by your sin any longer. You don't have to be far off. Come in, come closer, come to the family. What I've made possible, I've made possible for everyone. Our Father is not willing that any should perish, but that all should have access to me. All should come to repentance. This promise is for all generations, that as many as receive me, as many as receive me, Jesus, to them I give the right to become children of God. John chapter 1. He can be our Father. And so knowing that Jesus intentionally chose to make this prayer a together prayer, not a selfish, bless me and only me and my three prayer, now we can look at it through the lens of together is better, can't we? We, we, we can see what Jesus was getting at. We, we can see Jesus was bringing us to a place of restoration and wholeness and holiness. So let's look at the three together is better parts of the Lord's prayer and apply what Jesus is teaching us so that we can see how he's leading us to be complete in him, to be complete with him. Because the first part that we come to is this, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus doesn't let us get away with praying, give me this day my daily bread. Instead, give us this day our daily bread bread. So the first lesson in finding restoration is that we have to practice receiving together. Yeah. Receive together. Turn to somebody tell them, receive together. Receive together. Yeah. In other words, when we come to the Father, our Father, I ask for him not only to bless and provide for me, but for all of us. Yeah. Point at someone and tell them, he's talking about you. I want God to provide for you too. See, I can come to our Father in such confidence that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that he who clothes the lilies of the field and, and feeds the sparrows of the air, that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or think, that he was able to bless me so abundantly that in all things and in all times I can have all that I need, I might as well take whatever he gives me and pour it back to him, pour it out. To him, I might as well receive together and spread the wealth and turn around and be a cheerful giver and a liver and a liver and and live a life of generosity. I don't care what you do with your liver, but be generous. Have healthy livers, yes. Drink more water, less of the other stuff. Healthy liver. Receiving together means spreading the wealth. Not because you have to, but because you want to. This is basic training type stuff. To be healthy, to be whole, you have to step out of your comfort zone and start living with such faith in our Father and his ability to supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. When you start living like that, you'll live generously. Freely we have received together, so freely we give together. Now, for Christians, this is one reason we're challenged to tithe, to consistently bring at least 10% of our income to the storehouse, to bring an offering to church, not just so the pastor can feed his family and, and, and pay the church can pay its bills. Look, that part is going to happen with or without you. I know you're right. Me too, Patricia. Yeah. <laughs> See, God doesn't need us to provide those things, God uses gold as asphalt. All right, he paves streets with gold. (laughs) Christians tithe to demonstrate to God that we are grateful recipients of his many blessings and so that we can never express in this lifetime or a thousand lifetimes, but we start with sharing our resources, our finances, and we start at our local church. That's why we tithe. We receive not just for ourselves, we receive and distribute, we receive and we pour out, we reap and we sow. We empty ourselves and we're confident that like a dry and thirsty land crying out for refreshment, the windows of heaven will be opened up for our lives and pour out so much blessings, we can't receive it all. So we then just keep pouring it out. And once you get consistent with this, with this living generously and this tithing and all this stuff, you're going to be... Jesus, he's clear in Matthew 25 and places like Luke 19, that once you show God you can be faithful with a little bit, he'll give you more. And, and I'm not talking about name and claim just a little bit of anything. If you show God I can be faithful with a little bit of anything, he'll give you more. Even more important things. And look, this, I, this is my first time preaching here. I might not get another chance. You might revoke my membership, especially after touching the third rail, tithing. He talking about tithing his first time. Ha, 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 ha. But just know this. Thank you. In the Lord's Prayer... Jesus addresses how we are to receive, and it is together. Give us this day our daily bread. And the church would go on in the book of Acts. Right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you got the book of Acts, the first non-gospel record of what is going on with the new Christian community. The church in the book of Acts explodes in number and in power, and the church and the saints were freely bringing all they had received together. And they were just pouring it back into the kingdom of God. Not because they had to, but because the Holy Spirit had done such a work in their hearts that they wanted to. So look, if you want to be healthy or healthier spiritually, receive together. Spread the wealth. Love your neighbor. Be generous. If you're a Christian, yes, tithe. But don't just stop there. I gave it the office. I gave it the church. No, no. That's just, tithing's just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, we want you to tithe. You're supposed to do that. But look for other ways to give as well. Sponsor some kids in young life. Sponsor some Compassion International or some organization like that. How about this? Be a generous tipper when you go out to eat. Is there something I can hide behind? I used to work in the food business. I've seen, I know when Christians come in to eat because the tip is the worst. Jesus says, use your money for good. Jesus talks about his father. You know what he talks about a lot? His money. We might as well use it to win the lost. You start being generous, you're going to be delighted to see all the opportunities God brings your way. When you learn to give, you'll learn to receive. So receive together. Come on, do do me a favor. Just shake the person next to you. Just ask, are you still awake? And I tell them, receive together because it's better. Because it's better. So, so Jesus, he gives us, he says, give us this day, not just give me. He says, give us, look out for all of us. And then, and then he gets really serious, doesn't he? He gets into forgiveness. He says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Mm-hmm. Jesus jumps right to forgiveness, and it's a two-parter. Forgive us as we forgive. Forgive us as we forgive. To Jesus, to God, the being forgiven and being forgiving go hand in hand. If we are to be forgiven, we have to forgive. To be a forgiven person, we have to be a forgiving person. I'm going to say that again. To be a forgiven person, we have to be a forgiving person. So we receive together, we spread the wealth. Now Jesus teaches us to release together. Shed the weight. Release together. Shed the weight. I mean, look at the heaviness of that first part. Forgive us, he said. Forgive us. Remember, it's Jesus who's saying this: forgive us. Jesus, who, he who knew no sin, is saying, forgive us. He's putting himself literally in our shoes. He's getting down into the muck and in the mire with us. He is wrapping his Emmanuel, God with us, arms around us, and he's looking up to the Father with his arms on our shoulders saying, forgive us. I can sympathize with them in their weakness, Father, so forgive us. Now, this is so anti-human nature. We don't want to take responsibilities for other people's mistakes. Who has little kids here? Kids, let's say, under the age of 10. Okay. When you walk into the room and you bust one or more of your kids for getting into something like this. <laughs> tell me how many times your kids saying, "Yep, it was me. I did it. My fault. All me. My bad." You got me? I mean, you literally there's marker on their faces, there's marker on the walls. You don't know how, but there's marker on the ceiling. You don't even know that's physically possible. Never do they say it was me. What do they say? I didn't do it. It was him. It's her fault. She made me do it. He did it. They never take responsibility for their own messes. You catch them literally, not just red-handed, red-faced. They're not going to own their mistakes. But Jesus looks around at the mess that we made, the mess we know we made, the mess that he knows we made. Jesus looks at that mess, and he gets right in the thick of it, right down in the middle of it. And he says, hey, let's go to our Father together. Let's go together. Let's go. I'll, I'll, I'll be there with you when we go to the Father. Let's ask him for it. We, we, We've got markers all over our faces, blood all over our hands. We're covered from head to toe in mistakes and shame. And Jesus says, come on, let's go. Forgive us. Forgive us. This is what Jesus did for us. And that's what we can do for one another. When you see someone struggling, maybe in an addiction or some other issue in their lives, instead of judging them or kicking them out of your life, Why not go to them and say, hey, can I help you? What can I do for you? Can we pray? Can we approach our Father together? Can we ask Jesus to invade this situation, invade this relationship and take over? Now, they might not accept your help, but at least they know that you're open to helping them get restored. How about when that person has wronged you? Sometimes you just have to go and humble yourself and be the bigger man or the bigger woman and tell them, hey, let's work this out. Let's not assign blame. Let's ask our Father to forgive us both. Look, even if you're not the one at fault, you can do that. Sometimes, who am I kidding? Most of the times, you have to humble yourself to the point of death, of dying to yourself and your right to be right, and you have to go and say, forgive us. It's, it's like this. We've already addressed that next Sunday is, is Father's Day. For most of, most of us, I, I, I talked about earlier, father, we've had great memories. Father's Day is a good day for us. We have pleasant memories of our fathers, like my trip to North Carolina with my dad and mom and little brother. But there's some of us in here, we, we don't have or we didn't have the best father. In fact, he was a mess. He was a monster. He, he, he said awful things to us. He did awful things to us, unspeakable things. Father's Day is not a celebration for people like that. It's a reminder of the pain and, a tr- and trauma that a father caused them. And if that describes your experience, what I want to do right now is I want to do something. I'm a father. I've already shown you pictures of my kids. I'm obviously, I'm not your father. But I am a father. And so what I want to do right now is, as a father, I want to ask you for forgiveness. Please forgive us fathers where we have failed you and spoken poorly to you and mistreated you. See, those father wounds that were inflicted upon you, they were not God's desire for your life. Those words that were spoken, those were not God's words. You are not a mistake. You are not a failure. You are not unwanted. You are not unloved. You are not a loser. I know it was probably just words, but there were also maybe some actions that hurt you. Listen to me. They were not from God. They were not from God, our Father. You are not a punching bag. You are not a reject. You are not an afterthought. You are not any of those things that your father projected upon you. Your earthly father was flawed and broken and desperately in need of a savior. And as a father, what I would want to do today is I want to ask you for forgiveness. If your father ever said or did anything that harmed you, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that was your experience with your father. You were robbed. You feel you were robbed. You feel it was unfair, and it was you were robbed by a thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy you, and he figured out a way to get to you. And as a father, I want, to now speak, I want to now speak words over you that your father should have said. See, I can't go back and take back what your father said, but I can sow into your life right now and tell you what a father really thinks about you, what a father who has a restored relationship with Jesus really thinks about his kids. This is what your father would have said to you if he was right with Jesus. You're priceless. You're a joy. You are my reason for living. You mean the world to me. You are everything to me. I wouldn't trade you for anything. And if you're in here today and you can identify with any of that, you know the importance of what Jesus was doing when he came and he said, Our Father, forgive us. Even though it wasn't Jesus who ever caused any offense, but forgive us. He took it upon himself to say, forgive us. And look, not just if a father hurts you, but if you've been wounded, you're carrying around that wound and you've carried it around for years, maybe your entire lifetime, I want you to know you have the freedom in Christ to release that pain right here, right now, today. Even if the offender, the one who hurt you, never asks for forgiveness. In fact, that person might not even be alive anymore you still have the ability to join with others, to join with Jesus himself, and to release that pain together, to shed that weight together. Forgive us as we forgive. Forgive us as we forgive together. Because to be restored, you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to release together, to shed the weight, to forgive freely. See, that's the beautiful thing That's the beautiful thing about being in a church. We get to celebrate that we've been forgiven together. And then we get to encourage one another to release forgiveness together, for those floodgates of grace to be opened up in our spirits and for rivers of living water to be poured into every area of our innermost being together. And speaking of church, I'm gonna end with this. I really believe church and community is part of what Jesus is getting at with this last collective part of the Lord's Prayer when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I believe Jesus is encouraging us to remain together. Remain together. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. If we'll just remain together, if we'll just stick together, following the Savior, faithfully coming to church, having a rhythm of worshiping together on Sundays and throughout the week and breaking bread together, staying involved in each other's lives, if we'll just remain together, we can show each other the way through any trial, the way through any heartbreak, the way through any mistake, the way through any shame, the way through any setback, the way through any storm. See, I don't care if you have struggles or setbacks or if you've stumbled, you can survive if you remain together. Come on, come on. Don't isolate, don't isolate, don't isolate. The tendency when we sin and when we have failed is to get away. Get by ourselves. Remove ourselves from our support structure. Don't do that. Don't forsake your support structure. Remain together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, Jesus says. God can lead us not just away from temptation. He can deliver us not just from evil. He can lead us not just beside still waters and green pastures, but even through the valley of the shadow of death. And he will help us fear no evil. But we have to remain together. See, my opening story about driving to North Carolina with my mom and, and my dad, and I said my little brother Ryan, who was four at the time, we didn't know it, but that was the next to last Christmas we had with Ryan. He died uh, of leukemia a few years later, December 10th, 1985, when he was six, and and as you can imagine, my parents were a wreck, my, my dad especially. Fathers in here, some of you fathers have lost children, others just the thought of ever losing one of your ch- children, just, it's maddening. And the grief was so so dominant in my father's life, to be honest, I have no idea how my mother stayed with him. He, he was angry, he was impatient, he was just a broken mess, but she stayed with him. They remained together for better or for worse in sickness and in health. Even until death and through death, they did not part. Somehow they remained together. My my mother especially showing my dad the way through the grief. He's described it as that when my brother was lowered into the ground, that my dad describes it at, at the time that he put himself in the coffin with him. That's what he felt. And it took my mother to bring him back. My mother, praying warrior woman, bringing him out of the grave. Somehow they remained together. And this past Friday, June 9th, my parents celebrated 44 years of marriage. For for those of you that know them, they're still like love-struck teenagers. It's actually quite disgusting, all right? (laughs) Sometimes I just have to tell them, get a room, you know, come on, get out of here. This is. They remain together, and after all these years, they are professional marriage counselors. It's funny how God works all things together for good, isn't it? I'm going to say that again, but I'm going to slow it down. God works all things together. God works. And when He works, the way He works, the way He works all things in your life is together. Why? Together is better. So listen up as I prophesy to you for 30 seconds. God is gonna do something miraculous in your life. He's gonna heal you and He's gonna restore you and He's gonna help you feel accepted and complete and loved by your Heavenly Father, by our Father. He is going to make you better. You are going to get better together because together is better. Juntos es mejor. Together is better. Life is better together. We can get better together. We are better together. Things are better together. Peanut butter and jelly are better together. Oreos and milk are better Bacon and lettuce and tomato are better. Together. Simon and Garfunkel are better. I know that's right. R2D2 and C3PO are better. So what have we learned today? Together is better. You and I are better Together, You and your family are better together. You and your spouse are better together. You and this church are better together. If you want to get better, get together. Okay. Receive together. Release together. Remain together. Amen? Amen? Can you stand with me? So we pray that right now. Our Father, our Father. you are our Father. What does, that, what does that mean to us, God? What does, that, what does that mean to us to be our father? God, for me, it means the times in my life when I've stumbled and i felt like I failed you, like I don't deserve your grace. How could you ever love me? All my flaws and my shortcomings, my inconsistencies, The, the ways that I've, I've done good and taken one step forward, but then I've taken two steps back. And inwardly, I want to look and I just want to blame myself. But if, if it's true that you're our Father, then, then it could only be Jesus that provided the access to that relationship yeah I've fallen yes I've failed yes I've missed the mark but Jesus hasn't Jesus has never failed Jesus has never missed the mark there's no shame in Jesus there's no condemnation in Jesus There's nothing missing in Jesus. And so rather than turn the attention and the focus of my failure back to myself, Lord, what I want to do is I want to lean on Jesus, depend on Jesus, and look to our Father in heaven and pray that you would give us this day our daily bread. Help us receive together that we can pour out without hesitation, without looking over our shoulder, wondering if we're going to be begging for bread, wondering if we're going to be on the street. No, we want to receive together and pour out We want to release together. With only divine help, are we able to forgive? That's Jesus. That's why you say that for us to be forgiven, we have to forgive because it takes divine help for both. It takes your involvement for us to get to our Father in that sort of way. Lord, help us remain together today, where we've started to drift, where we've started to isolate ourselves, either from our support structure or our family, burying ourselves in work or relationships or substance. May we instead find ourselves with you in community. That even if we were tempted to climb into the grave, we would have a way out. We would hear a voice calling us to come forth, the voice of our Father. Through people, through circumstances, through situations, through a church, through a Bible study, through a youth group, hear the voice of our Father today and know that we are loved and accepted in Jesus' name.